0: Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: I mean, come on, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID 19, and I'm still here. I also survived our broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together, because we're all out of patience. Howdy, friends. Welcome back. Another quick reminder before we get started. If you like the show, I hope you do. And you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that is. Leave me a rating, a review. It helps people find the show. I don't know. Or don't. I'll still like you. On the show today, Judith L. Pearson, triple negative breast cancer survivor, patient advocate, and author of the new book, From Shadows to Life, a biography of the cancer survivorship movement. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you already know that if I had to pick my favorite cancer organization, it would obviously be Stupid Cancer, because I created it. But if a slot opened up for one more, it would be the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, or nccs because acronyms judy's book is a labor of love that digs into the past 50 years of cancer advocacy and blends medical history with a group biography of average citizens who created a social movement in 1986 that continues to this day to help millions of people when they hear the words you have cancer enjoy the show My God, the universe has some crazy karma. Judy Pearson, thanks for coming in out of Patience. I love it. So we met kind of by happenstance-ishness a couple of years ago. The universe did its thing and we're back together dating. How the hell did that happen?
2: I don't even know. Just don't tell my husband.
1: Ah, I won't tell my wife. <laughs> I, she's a listener. Sorry, honey. Here we are. <laughs> Just yeah, I, I I'm a big fan of of karma and coincidence and weird things coming full circle. And you know, it's always like the you didn't have to have cancer to be my friend, but at the same time, we're in the same kind of like a medical swamp and yep, all this crapness and stuff. But I want first want to start by talking about how we have six hundred and 62 mutual LinkedIn connections, and that is fourth of all of my LinkedIn connections. So congratulations. We do? Yes. Oh
2: my gosh, that's hilarious. I, and I'm not stalking any of them, even you. <laughs> yeah,
1: No, but we clearly get around on LinkedIn, which Absolutely. is a good problem to have. The second yeah. was that I could not but notice that Bernie Siegel gave you a phenomenal review of yeah. the book, and I have a Bernie Siegel connection that I just wanted that we can miss a minute here about the man. Um, I was given Love, Medicine and Miracles, his book from the 80s uh, when I was sick wow. because I had to make sense of this madness. And it really helped me center on the fact that, you know, miracles can be how you define them. Of course, yeah, the biology helps getting the thing out of my head kind of helped, you know, the radiation kind of helped. And then the how the hell am I still here 25 years later is however you define a miracle. I actually stalked him. And I found his home phone number in Darien, Connecticut, and I called him up in like 1998. And I was like, Bernie, you don't know me, but I want to know you. I feel like you're my uncle. And I'm this Jewish kid that's still trying to figure out if he's going to be living I the piano. Brought me up to Connecticut, gave him a piano concert at his house, met his wife. We then took a private plane to Rochester because I got him to speak at this uh, kid cancer event in Rochester. And we become we became friends. So the fact that, how did you get to know him first and foremost? I'm like, geeking out that we both know Bernie Siegel.
2: I actually only know him tangentially. There's a wonderful woman um, who does a podcast called Bump in the Road. And she interviewed me a month or so ago. And uh, no, it was longer than that. What am I saying here? It was longer ago than that. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, And... So in in our discussion, I mentioned him uh, as being someone that I greatly respect. And she said, well, I know him. And I said, you do? And she said, yeah. And I said, I would love to send him a galley of my book. So she connected us and he he sends his emails all in lowercase letters, which I find- Very E.
1: Cummings of him.
2: Very cute. Yep. And um, and he says, I'm just Bernie. I'm not Dr. Siegel because I started <laughs> out with Dr. Siegel, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, he said, I'm happy to. I was like, wow, that is so cool. I thought just like the lesser known authors like me uh, are happy to do jacket blurbs. I didn't know like the big guys were as well. Right. So I, I was really thrilled that he did that.
1: Yeah, he's an amazing guy. He kind of helped center me in my path in the 90s. I mean, I talk about you me talk about this, that I had no peer support. I had no real mentorship. There really was nothing in the 1990s. We're going to get to that with the history of the book. But I was, you know, that guy in the 90s and his 20s with nothing. And then along came Bernie. And I found a sense of handrail and guardrail and how how to figure out what the hell this all was. I just wanted to start our chat with that, because it's too karmic to see Bernie yep. Siegel, you know, at, at the, <laughs> on the head of the book. Um, I love it. Uh, I was reading your bio, and I love the uh, the part you said that you grew up uh, kind of like the Shell Silverstein tree that you used to write under. And I pictured, you know, Forrest Gump and Jenny on that branch, you know, just, you know, talking to each other overlooking the lake. Talk about your origins as a writer and that, the tree.
2: Well, I actually was not under it. I was also in the tree, although Forrest and Jenny weren't there yet. But I um, you know, I was a teenager. Um, I'm older than you are. So it was a time of, of much social unrest in the country, uh, that I was a teenager. So I would sit up in that tree and write poems and songs and short stories about the end of life, which I was sure was coming. And I, I actually kept that notebook. My children also now grown think that it's hilarious, but that that's really where I started. I loved writing all my life
1: yeah i mean some people are just born with it and it's such a great coping mechanism i mean we, we my parents talk about you know they're in their 70s now but they talk about how the cuban missile crisis like was the end of the world which it really yep. kind of was with the duck and cover oh, yeah. and the crazy shelter drills so by comparison to today you know a global thermonuclear war in the 80s it was a really big deal and they they took to writing and it was the best way to express themselves when you couldn't control any of the madness what I find most interesting is you actually went to school for what you love to do, and you're still doing what you went to school for. Very, <laughs> very rare.
2: That well, and my my journey, you know, is winding. Um, so I didn't start out as a writer, but. When I finally got to it, everything happens in its own time. So another part of karma. So, you know, when I, when it finally arrived on my doorstep, I, I just, I can't wait to get to my office every morning and start writing back. This is a really difficult time for me because I'm in, in this weird spot between promoting uh, a book and then wanting to start a new one but the promoting the book part seems to be taking more time than the actual starting of the new book
1: i suppose a good problem to have when you're just trying to be superlific every single day yes
2: yes (laughs) so
1: i like to say we're all born of our condition and no one asks to enter a shit happen store but you know you went ahead and said ah good old breast cancer how'd that happen
2: Let's do this. Well, and I I just wrote this in something today. It, breast cancer came at the worst time, but does cancer ever come at a good time? You know, it, it's not exactly something you put on your calendar. So I was a newlywed, um, having found the love of my life after Two not-so-great ones. And uh, as a mom, of course, worried about my kids. My youngest son just couldn't seem to find the love of his life. My oldest son was about to deploy to Afghanistan. And then I found this, this curious lump in my cleavage Um, two months after a clean mammogram. And so I asked my husband to feel it because men will feel your boobs if you ask (laughs) them to. And he said, oh my gosh, that's new. And I mean, Matt, it's like this thing popped up overnight. And after the surgery, um, the surgeon, my mastectomy, the surgeon said that there were uh, a number of tumors in my breast that hadn't been seen uh, on mammography. And that if I had been forced to wait until they had been palpable. It would have spread greatly. And actually, my mom's sister died of the same kind of breast cancer I did after it metastasized. And so I just thought, wow, okay. So I've lived, obviously, for a reason. Now I just need to figure out what that is and get to doing it.
1: So just to let the listeners know, you had triple negative breast cancer. And that's a subset of the larger circus tent of breast cancer. The running joke that we've always had, and we could say cancer jokes because we're cancer people, was that, you know, women find out the triple negative and they're like, well, that's great. Triple negative. Man, I got the jackpot breast cancer. No, it's not like that. So what's really the deal with that?
2: No, it's way worse. So triple negative is diagnosed in about fifteen percent, one five percent of breast cancer diagnoses, and it typically affects women of color, younger women, and women of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. I know for a fact I'm not the first two, and I don't know whether I have any, any Ashkenazi background. It's never been talked at it at Christmas. Um, or Easter, so I'm guessing not. And um my aunt having died of the same thing, uh, I also had uh genetic testing. I do not have any of the BRCA mutations, nor any of the other mutations for that matter. So it's just one of these weird things that that these middle-aged white ladies got, my aunt and me.
1: I mean, we talked about and you hinted at the fact that you know there's no good time for cancer and having worked in adolescent and young adult cancer for 15 years it's you know it's it's not better or worse it's just very very different newly married not a great time you know getting out of college probably a different kind of not a great time than being in your 70s on medicare it still sucks but it sucks differently how did that affect your immediate future as a young woman newly married
2: Well, my, um, I was not 70, but I wasn't young either. I was 57. And so I said to my husband, you know, this is not what you signed up for. You should leave. Um, I could die. I probably will die. And at the very best, I'm going to be disfigured. And, um, you know, all those frightening things that go through your head. Plus do not look up pictures on the internet, which was the first thing I did. Bad, 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 Judy. And my husband said, this is exactly what I signed up for. I'm not going anywhere. And he has since told me, Matt, I mean, he is the sweetest man in the world. I can't wait for you guys to meet. Um, but he said to me that the Judy he knew before cancer, she was really something. He really fell in love with that woman. But the Judy after cancer is so much more and so much just has such a different outlook on life. And I've always been a sunny person, but man, every day is sweet.
1: I mean, we're going to talk about cancer survivorship. The word itself has lots of syllables, but to the extent that caregiving and family, you know, it's a disease of more than just the person that has it biologically. Your husband stuck by you. He's still here. And To that extent, success story through all sorts of crazy trauma, right?
2: That's exactly right. And I have to tell you, there's a horrible statistic that men leave women seven times more often than the other way around in the face of a catastrophic illness. And I I was married to a guy who probably would have left me (laughs) before this guy, (laughs) before this last, last husband. And, and so, yeah, I, I felt like I'd really hit the jackpot.
1: Yeah, there are way too many stories in the Naked City of that actually happening. I mean, yeah. one, one might want to assume that things weren't so fabulous before the cancer diagnosis, and that was the trigger. But I've heard so many times and have so many friends who were single and then got married or were in treatment and met somebody, the outclaws – is like this, oh, you can leave anytime you want. Like, you don't need to bear this burden. And that's a real thing. That is how can you navigate this and keep your game on, whatever that means to you in your cancer situation, when all these other practical factors are affecting everything. And that goes back to survivorship. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So I wanted to briefly talk before we cut to the next segment about your nonprofit organization, because again, we're born of our condition. We want to help make things suck a little less for the next us. So talk to us about a second act.
2: So I am a storyteller by profession. And after I just couldn't find the next great story, I write biographies. I couldn't find the next story to write, but I started meeting amazing people doing these wonderful things in their survivorship. They were giving back to the greater good. And I had done some research pre-cancer for an article, a magazine article, about the health benefits of volunteering. And I put those two things together and thought, wow, there is healing in helping. And so I started this organization to support and celebrate women survivors who are doing just that. They're giving back to the greater good. And the reason that we're women-centric is not because we don't care about our male counterparts, but that often when you get in a room of mixed genders it's really hard to talk about the nitty gritty of survivorship. If you're in a women-only group, man, they will take off their shirts and show you their scars, but not so much if they're men in the room. So that's why we're women-centric. So we, um, we do workshops, we do uh, networking events, we give annual micro-grants to women survivors who want to launch or grow their second acts. And our annual fundraiser is a storytelling event live storytelling event on stage about it done by women who have created their second acts ex.
1: it's extraordinary i'm involved with going back to the the potential or of sexism in cancer support i'm involved with an organization called man up to cancer and it's guys only cancer and it's like the our gang alfalfa no girls allowed on the front door but we're not doing it to be sexist. You know, we're doing it because we are going to need a male, tribal, insular, no judgments like squad. Yeah. And that makes total sense. And I commend yep. you on doing that because, yes, at, at Stupid Cancer, we had support groups just for guys and just for girls. And we had for LGBT and we had for We wanted to make sure that if you needed a specific silo, That was to your gender or your sex and how you identified, we would give it to you. And it didn't rule out the fact that, yeah, you can learn a lot in mixed gender environments. That's kind of how support works. But kudos to you. Where can people learn more about your nonprofit organization?
2: We are at asecondact.org, and we spell second with the number 2-N-D as opposed to spelled out, and they can see the videos of um, 50 women, soon to be 58, who have told their stories on our stages and poke around and see all kinds of other things as well.
1: And we will put a link in the episode description. Thank you for sharing all of that. Awesome. Back with our guest after the break.
2: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Right. Just like customizing your terms so
0: your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah! Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are.
1: And now, Judy, to the meat and potatoes of our interview. Your brand new book, From Shadows to Life, a biography of the cancer survivorship movement. Man, that is such an overdue story to be told. How? How do you land on this glorious subject?
2: It was um, more karma. So, I have this organization. Uh, I live in Phoenix, and I was introduced to a woman who lives in Tucson. Went to visit her, and lo and behold, she was a founding member of the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, which, t- uh, to be perfectly honest, I had never heard of until that day, three years ago. And so, she is the inspiration for this story. It's a group biography because it would be impossible to tell the stories of everybody. But that group came together in 1986 and created this social movement um, really based on the AIDS movement that was going to take survivorship and survivors from the shadows to life because at that point in time people cancer survivors were being discriminated against they could lose their jobs they would lose insurance they were filing for bankruptcy it was it was just horrific and there was still the myth of of uh, contagion that cancer was contagious it's ridiculous
1: you know, I was, I was diagnosed in 96 and the contagious thing was still a thing in the 1990s. So oh, I totally get that.
2: God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for
1: the listeners on the show, I've done probably I think five episodes in the last year that focused on the acronym is NCCS. I've had the new CEO, Shelley Fold I've had a gentleman named Craig Lustig who was on the board of directors. I've spoken to Julia Rowland, who is one of the <laughs> founding people who's still around. It is the, the core of when I think back to how a bill became a law, how did Matt get plucked out of the ether and invited to become a patient advocate? It was all through the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. So so uh, Judy, take us back then to the 1970s. Yeah, people died, it was horrible. Why wasn't there yet do you feel this idea that cancer was about a person and not about biology? And why did it have to take 23 really pissed off people to meet in Albuquerque totally <laughs> randomly on purpose right. to, to create this massive medical advocate culture shift?
2: I think to a certain extent, we were as a as a culture, less forthcoming with a lot of things. You never talked about your politics. You never talked about how much money you made. Or I remember asking my father at the dinner table, so how much money do you make every year? And he was like, "What? why is that even relevant to you? Um, you didn't talk about religion. It was all those things that were not on the table. and And certainly disease, personal disease was one of them. The contagion part of it played greatly into that because, um, I mean, people who were cancer survivors would go to cocktail parties and be served on paper plates and, and have their cocktails in paper cups so they could be thrown away because the host was afraid she couldn't get the germs off washing them afterwards. So a group of, of congressmen, actually, uh, senators and congressmen led by an indomitable woman called Mary Lasker, decided that it was time to start infusing more money into research, cancer research. And when the idea was brought to Richard Nixon, who was president at the time, that um, he hadn't been able to end the Vietnam War with his secret plan as he would promised, they said, look, Dick, people don't like you, but if you could cure cancer. And if you could put more money into research, man, that's a that's a bipartisan thing everybody can get behind. Democrats and Republicans, both of them don't want to die of cancer. So in December of 1971, 50 years ago this year, he signed the National Cancer Act. It funneled $1.3 billion into research, and he did promise to cure it by the bicentennial, which of course didn't happen. But that additional research changed the tide of treatment, which in turn started creating survivors and the NCCS definition of survivorship, which is now the medical medically accepted definition is that it begins at diagnosis because that's when you begin surviving cancer and you are a survivor for the balance of life. There's no magic three years, 10 years, five years. And so you're right. So all this money, all these survivors, they're still in the shadows. And so, yeah, Albuquerque is not exactly a healthcare mecca. No offense, it's a beautiful city, but how random that they should meet there. But for um, one of the two main instigators, Catherine Logan, lived in Albuquerque. And the other instigator, her partner in crime, Dr. Fitzhugh Mullen, loaned her his Rolodex address book to find all these other people to gather in Albuquerque.
1: I mean, the only other reference to Albuquerque, I'm channeling like boomers and Gen Xers who remember Bugs Bunny always took a wrong turn there. But outside of that, <laughs> you know, I'll give it more credit than credit is due that this was where it all really began. I do want to take a twist because the word survivorship lived on it was i mean the reason they liked the word was because there really wasn't one except victim before then so let's get rid of that but victims still kind of around and it's fun to shame people that we don't say that anymore we say this now but it's not like cancel culture it's just a shitty word to use period right but in the vein of progress i was told that i would not be a cancer survivor until I hit a five-year mark. And that was in 1996, 10 years after NCCS. So as much as I'd like to believe that this was supposed to be the new narrative, the new policy, the new best practice, I don't feel it really trickled into society for a very long time because the perception was you're probably going to die anyway. So why would I want to be a survivor until I'm kind of Uh, statistically out of the woods. How do you feel about that?
2: Well, and I'll tell you um, even more recently than that. So in 2014, I was saying to someone that I was um, three years out of, it was a doctor uh, at a conference that I was three years out of my triple negative breast cancer, but but that I couldn't consider myself a survivor yet because I didn't know this. And she corrected me and said, well, actually you are a survivor because three years is the benchmark for triple negative. So that was in 2014. So, you know, I I don't know. I think think that we have a hard time with words and words are important. And um, some of the people that I interviewed for this book said, you know, we didn't really expect the term survivor would stick when we came up with it. In 1986, but we desperately wanted something that wasn't victim. And victim, and in fact, uh, a lot of my color, I, the, I write narrative nonfiction. So I pull the reader in to the story following the person, or in this case, the people that I'm talking about. So I was able to access through a subscription, a lot of newspaper articles written at these various times of the book. And Even in articles where the wonderful Ellen Stovall is quoted, um, the headline was always Cancer Victim Having Victims Having an Assembly, Cancer Victims Having a March. And she would get so exasperated, according to people who worked with her, at this term. It's just, it's stupid. No one wants to be a victim. The other thing I find really interesting so if you have a heart attack, you're not a cardiac victim. If you have diabetes, you're not a diabetic victim. Why, why? is it stuck on cancer? Have you ever thought of that?
1: I mean, I think it makes sense in the context of, and this is just my 47 year old Gen Xer assuming these things that you know uh, abuse in the priesthood and rape. You know, is it okay? Is that a, an acceptable way to talk about victimhood? But it still puts the burden on the person who was affected implicitly, I'm a big fan of your metaphor of choice is how you can determine what you want. And man, there's a lot of those. There's Thriver. I've heard Sir Thriver. I've heard Warrior. I've heard Champion. I've heard all these terms. And you know what? Godspeed. Pick your metaphor (laughs) and live your life. And that's perfectly fine. That's right. I wanted to pivot to one of the lesser-known but most important events of the 1990s in advocacy because it was this flummoxing of channeling energy. And this was around the post-AIDS movement and as the breast cancer voices were getting really rallied up and they were doing sit-ins and die-ins. And then in 1998, the March on Washington, 200,000 people descended upon for all the right reasons, not the shit reasons that we're going to be <laughs> considering because it's 2021, all the right reasons. What was your take on when you heard that story, seeing how you just kind of entered the NCCS universe only recently?
2: So I'm extremely visual. Um, when I, I, I need to have, vision in my head when I write, because then I want to be able to, as I said, best draw the reader in and give the best description. So I did a considerable amount of research in Washington, D.C. anyway, at the archives, in the National Library of Medicine, and at NCCS. But I went to the National Mall and I stood there because I knew exactly where the march where the the area began and where it ended it was like i don't know 6 8 blocks something like that and i stood in the middle on a sunny day um, in early November and looked around me thinking, Oh my God, it was shoulder to shoulder people on that day. It was miraculous. And I always tell people, it's funny you talk about Forrest Gump and Jenny. Picture that scene where he's talking about Vietnam and the mic has gone off and then it comes back on and he says his name and she jumps into the reflecting pool. If if you just turned around that's where the march took place, but it picture that kind of humanity crushed together, that's what this march looked like. And they by their own admission um the Some of the uh, other organizers who I interviewed, they had no clue what they were doing. They were one of them, in fact, this is kind of a spoiler from the book, but it's hilarious. Um, Betty Clark, the wonderful Betty Clark and Ellen, went to a meeting with uh, the National Park Service, and the woman they met with said, well, you're gonna need a jumbotron, and there's only five in the country, so you need to you need to reserve one now. And they got outside, and Betsy looked at Ellen and said, "What's a jumbotron?" <laughs> I mean, yes. that's if they didn't know what they were doing. And they and not only 200,000 people in D.C., but concurrent marches going on at state capitals across the country. The Michigan Michigan State football game at halftime. Michigan State's my alma mater. Broadcast what was going on both in Washington D.C. and in Lansing, the capital of Michigan. I mean, it was it was unbelievable that that this small group of people could just say, "Let's have a march."
1: I mean, I can't emphatically emphasize enough to the listeners that this is the book to read if you're going to read the book. So, just wrapping up, I have one more question, and this is kind of a loaded question, but like you start to look at. Oh, We used to just kind of die, and that was really shitty, and today we kind of live, which is better, and people still kind of die. But this idea of living with cancer, chronic conditions, and metastatic disease, better than the alternative. But from the perspective of cancer survivorship as a now narrative term in standards and practices and guidelines... What is the next decade? What are we still lagging behind on in terms of survivorship?
2: I think absolutely the biggest thing is the need for survivorship care plans. And I'll bet a whole bunch of your listeners have no idea what that is. We have been talking about survivorship care plans for two decades. It's, it's supposed to be some kind of a document that follows you after you're done. Well, after you're done with your acute treatment. So if you have metastatic disease, if you have all the other issues that go on in survivorship, these would all be a part of this document along with all the drugs you ever took so that when something arises a doctor can say, oh, I see you had cisplatin that causes joint damage. Let's do this. It's, it's a brilliant idea. It was, um, tossed about, um, when lost in transition came out, which was acknowledging that the medical community themselves weren't doing very well with survivors, but but no one knows how to manage it. Who's going to pay for it? Is it insurance paid? Is it private? You know, does the primary care physician have it? Does the patient themselves have it? The survivor themselves have it? It's just, there's absolutely no coalition around this, around what to do next. If we could do one thing besides curing every single kind of cancer that there is, that would be it to wrap our mind around that.
1: The book is From Shadows to Life, a biography of the cancer survivorship movement available now on Amazon. Judy Pearson, thank you so much for coming on the program.
2: Oh, Matt, thank you. This has been great fun.
1: That's all for today, folks. If you like today's
2: show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Brianna Seely, Jen Orange, and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.